Welcome to Sojourn Grace Collective, a progressive Christian church in San Diego, where our mission is to foster spiritual, social, and emotional wholeness. In our community, we affirm all that makes you, you. We celebrate your gender identities and sexual orientation, your race and your socioeconomic status, your physical abilities and your religious creeds. Here at Sojourn, it all belongs. This podcast is a replay of our Sunday morning teachings. We hope you find encouragement and inspiration as you make your way through this week. Visit us online at SojournGrace.com, where you can learn more about our faith community, discover resources to help you find wholeness in your life, and partner with us in our mission through tax-deductible contributions. Thank you for joining us today, and may you know above all else that you are a loved child of God. Full stop. Welcome to Sojourn. I'm on. Are you on? Uh, You're muted. Tap it. All right. We had that entire trailer to sort out our audio. And didn't do it. Welcome to Sojo. We don't have to be perfect. Um, But we can try? You can try. (laughs) You can try. We'll talk about the Enneagram later. (laughs) Hi, everybody. As you said, so happy to be back live. We are doing a series called Meaning in Movies. So, you know, not a new concept. Churches have done this before. Watch movies together and talk about... Um, spiritual meaning in them and whatnot. Um, We did go ahead and create six very specific questions to analyze for each of the movies. So to go through and talk about spiritual growth, relational growth, personal growth, um, just kind of our mission, I guess, spiritual, social, and emotional wholeness, um, how we see that play out in these films. So that's been super fun so far. We've done um, Frozen 2, Onward, and then um, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood this week. And um, I wanted to share one thing about this series really quick, which is that picking these movies has not been the easiest thing in the world. As it turns out. And I mostly take the blame for that. (laughs) Poor Colby. (laughs) Poor Colby. I'm very, very picky about what we do here. Um, So I want to say that we want to invite you to pick these movies for us that we do in this series. And I will share with you that um, I would invite you to be as picky as I am. (laughs) So Mm. one of the things that we've been being really careful about is that we don't want to wreck people's nervous systems right now when we're at such a high stress, high anxiety level in the world, in society already. So anxiety is up here right now. So let's not watch movies that take it to the next level. Um, So war movies come to mind. Um, Horror movies. Horror movies come to mind. It's it's not necessarily that they deal with dark content. All three of the movies that we have picked so far have dealt with some dark, heavy, deep things. Um, But they need to not be like nervous system wrecking, like um, physically bring your heart rate up the whole time. Um, Lots of sensory, dark issues um super trauma triggering where it like shows the deep dark trauma um let's just not go too dark with it so hopefully that helps yeah am i saying that okay enough like, i like that those parameters let's, like a... let's not go too deep we want to restate something oh yeah matthew's laughing about how the enneagram four is saying don't go dark so that tells you something yeah. i just um i think we're it's conscious like... of the self self-care yeah. part of it and we want to help shepherd 
wellness in that. Yeah. And, I, uh, and so I think your, I think your instincts on that were, were spot on. And we had a great conversation yesterday to kind of crystallize those instincts. And yeah. And I helpful. think Matthew pointing that out is perfect because it's actually that my Enneagram fourness is bringing this to light because what happens for me is that I go into the darkness, set up camp there and then live there and have spent many years of my life unwell because of that, which is all of our Enneagram journeys, right? That's just my specific one. We all do that in something. Mine is the darkness. And I've learned to manage that and to, um, I don't know, to self-care myself out of that. And so now I'm on high alert all the time of like, let's not dive down and build camp there. And so when everybody's anxious already, it's just, let's not be too anxious. So anyway, please, 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 though, (laughs) I'm being super serious about all these parameters, but please throw out your ideas of movies that you've loved, um, movies that you might be excited about. Um, Did you say already that it doesn't have to be a recent movie? Yeah, it doesn't have to be recent at all. Go back into your childhood if you want. I don't know, just throw out some of your favorite movies or ideas. In fact, I'll I'll tell you what we're doing next week, but we'll do that in the benediction and we're going back like 40 years. Oh, yeah. For next week's movie. Cool. Right? 40? Isn't it? I don't know. Maybe not. I just feel like we're getting old. I just feel like we're getting old, and so I have to keep upping whatever the amount of time I look back into. Okay. That was awesome. Uh, So, should we get into today's? movie, mm-hmm. uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which I see in the comments here that some of you haven't watched it yet. And I, I please hear us say that that is fine. Like you don't have to, and here's what I would say. In order to enjoy and or appreciate and or even get something out of these Sunday morning meaning and movies messages, one does not need to have seen the movie in question because we're not necessarily dissecting the movie uh, as the movie as much as we are letting the movie illuminate uh, themes and ideas that then we sort of uh, extract and, and talk about here. So uh, having seen the movie or not is, is totally fine. Um, and that's it. So should we go to question one? Yes. Here we go. Kate, would you share with us where did you see Christ and or Jesus? We've been talking about each week that we might take one or two of those identities in the response to this question. Yeah. So um, in this film, it was funny because I kind of felt like just answering this question with Mr. Rogers. That's my answer to that question. (laughs) (laughs) I saw him in Fred. (laughs) Um, But to go a little deeper into that, um, I loved when... um, Fred Rogers' producer, I forget his name. Do you remember his name off the top of your head? No. Anyway, the character of his producer tells um, the other main character, um, Lloyd, that um, Fred likes everybody, but he loves people like you. And this kind of messes with Lloyd's head a little bit. And then later in the movie, Lloyd brings that back up, and he, and he names to Fred, oh, people like me, I get that now. I get what your producer meant. He meant broken people. And just without skipping a beat, Fred Rogers is like, I don't think you're broken. And then he flips it and talks about the beauty. And I think there's not a person in the world who doesn't see that Fred Rogers is exactly what the producer was saying. We all see that, right? It's true. He's attracted to these people that society would label broken, and he moves toward them. When society is moving away from broken people, Mm. Fred is moving toward them. And that to me is just the 
epitome of Jesus or Christ, whatever, like however you want to break that down. Um, and then goes even further with it and is like, it's not just that I believe in hanging out with broken people, it's that I believe in flipping the script entirely. And it's not even brokenness to yeah. me, it's beauty. And just that whole idea of, you know, people will say like, Jesus dined with the sinners or whatever. And it's like, no, actually he just didn't see them as sinners. Is that idea to me. Um, it's beautiful. I love that so much. Yeah, I can imagine one of the people that first century Jewish communities would have called a sinner saying that to Jesus, like, oh, you're drawn towards people like me. People like who? Well, sinners. And Jesus having that, like, yeah. wait, what? Yeah. That's how you see yourself? That's that's the label you give to yourself? That's, oh, so good. All right. So for me, what came up for me as I was watching this is there's this moment where uh, Lloyd, who, if you haven't seen the film, is this journalist who's been assigned. It's based on a, inspired by a true story. Lloyd is a, a, a journalist for, is it Esquire? Esquire magazine? Who is given an assignment to go just do like a short little 400 word piece on Fred Rogers. And yet it ends up being a much longer uh, experience that he has with Fred. And so Lloyd is waiting to talk to Fred and he meets uh, 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 Fred's wife, and which I'm sorry, I shouldn't call her Fred's wife, but I've drawn a blank on her name. So uh, Fred's wife. Um, and Lloyd says... I don't remember it either. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So Lloyd says to her something about like he's, a, he calls Mr. Rogers a saint. He's like, he's such a saint as he's out there just sort of interacting with people and loving people and just has this saintly... Um, spirit to him. And uh, Fred's wife says this, if you think of him as a saint, then his way becomes unattainable. If you think of him as a saint, then his way becomes unattainable. And she explains that th the way that he is, he works on that. He, he practices that. Uh, and if you, know, if you know anything about Fred Rogers, the that in there, the thing that Lloyd is identifying as a saint is this, this kindness, this openness, this compassion, this just loving, tender spirit for people. And, and I love that the way, why this made me think of Jesus is because I think that for a lot of church history, a Christianity has become about worshiping Jesus, not so much following. It's become about worshiping Jesus, not becoming disciples. And what Jesus seemed to, at least the record we have of the Gospels, what he seemed to be interested in was people following in his way, like living as he did, practicing his practices. And yet the church then took it rather than let's live like Jesus to then let's just hold him up on a pedestal and let's worship him. And that became the thing. But when you worship somebody, like Soren Kierkegaard says, when you worship someone, you can keep them at a distance. It's safe. There's no actual impact on your life. But when you follow someone, suddenly there's a real demand. So I just, I love this idea that, calling someone a saint now goes into your mind as, well, they're different. They're, they're holy. They're separate. So whatever they're like, I can't be like that. Uh, and so I just love the way that that, for me, illuminated this um, relationship that Jesus invites followers in uh, to have with him, which is, no, my way, this way of radical love and compassion and kindness and forgiveness is not unattainable. It's not just reserved for some holy people or people that have it all figured out. You really, it can be a way that you practice. And so that, that really jumped out to me in that. Love it. Question two. Question two. So would you let me know if you can hear me say, what Enneagram types do you think the main characters are? Enneagram. <laughs> Enneagram. 
Instagram. Hey, really quick, before we say what we saw as types in mm, the movie, I mm, want to speak mm, to the Enneagram itself really quick. Um, the Enneagram is another tool that we use for spiritual growth, personal growth um, in our lives. And it is just that. It's not the gospel truth that applies to all things. It's just one little way that we can practice growth, right? Um, the thing about the Enneagram is that typing people is actually antithetical to the Enneagram. You don't type people. You don't look, because the Enneagram isn't about anything outward. It's actually not about our behavior. It's not about our outward expressions. It's actually the um, like personality tool test program. I'm lacking words for that thing. Tool test program. Tool test program. What other better it's, words are there? It's actually the only one of those types of things that for me actually goes inward enough to be a good resource. So that's why I'm obsessed with the Enneagram. So when we do things like say, what do you think the Enneagram types were in a movie? Well, we have no idea because we don't know the internal motivations and the internal drive behind a character in a, in a movie. I don't say that to mean that it's irrelevant. I mean, I, we put it in here and it was my idea. So I love it. It's fun. But I just like to remind us that all we're looking at when we look at a film is actions and behaviors. And so we can jump to stereotypes in that. Yeah. Um, those things can be clues. And there's connections there, right? Yes, Enneagram ones all act a little bit like each other. They're vastly different because it's really about your internal motivations. So um, it's fun to look at the Enneagram and think about what might be driving someone, but we never actually know at all. There are folks who, like myself, who act very one type. Their outward expression is very this type. And then their inward motivation for Why those actions yeah. is totally different. So that's just a little bit about the Enneagram. It's all about what's inside. What's driving you? What's motivating you? So what did you so, think? Yeah, so be? we're typing these folks just for the fun of the exercise. Yeah. Uh, and like it that. helps you think about it. Like yeah. It is a good thing to think about of yeah. what's driving that person. That's what's cool. What's making them act in these ways. That's what cool. might be behind. What might be their why. We don't know their why, but it's fun to ask. Yeah, for me, uh, the character of Lloyd, the journalist for Esquire, uh, I saw him as someone who was really running from pain, trying to keep himself constantly busy and distracted and had this huge pain point in his life that he did not want to deal with. Um, had this real aggressive posture towards others, so had this confrontational, uh, he had a reputation for getting into a story and finding a way to just really make someone maybe not come out in the best light, just kind of had this aggressive confrontational nature to him. Um, and he seemed to thrive in conflict. So that was where he, so when I think of those three attributes for me, type eight is what comes to mind. So I typed Lloyd as a type eight. What about you? I did not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I see what you're speaking to, those outward um, actions and behaviors. I saw them through a different type's lens. Um, so for me, I saw him acting like an eight, maybe, like those outward actions are very eight-like, which, just real quick about eights, I like to flip, um, so in typical Enneagram language, we say the needs have a need, or the eights have a need to be against, and I like to say that eights have the need to protect, um, because that's what that's coming from. It gets at their drive better instead of just their behavior. The behavior might be against, but the drive is um, a need to protect. So um, I saw that for sure, this wall sure, yeah. nature of him. I saw it very much through a three lens. Um, he felt so Enneagram three to me. Mm. The threes do the same thing as the eights, this protective wall thing, but it's from a different 
place. And for me, that was what was going on with Lloyd is it was an emotional place. There was, um, for me, as he moved through the world, he was taking everything in through emotion, which is the threes, they're in the heart center. But in each of those triads, the heart center, the head center, and the body center, the types that are in the middle of each of those, which are the threes in their heart center, they're in the center of the heart center, they have this interesting phenomenon happen where they take it in through that center and then get blocked and stuck there. So our sweet threes are feeling the world and then spinning out in that's too much feeling and they wall up because they don't know how to express and experience all of that feeling. And that was how I experienced his confrontational againstness, wall upness. It felt very emotional to me and very heart centered. Um, and even things like his turning to work that felt with, like what that was for me of a threes um, need to in the midst of trauma, there was even a scene where he's just like, I got to go to work, right? And, um, Can't relate to that. Our, yeah, our threes get typed as workaholics, and that's very much Lloyd, mm. right? He's super um, stereotyped as a workaholic, but in our threes, you see that it's this, um, I don't even like to call it a coping mechanism, but it's it's how they experience life in the world is through their work, and it, it is how they cope. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. So anyway, that was what I saw in Sweet Lloyd. What about you, watchers? Did you have you seen this? What would you type Lloyd as? Uh, and then the other character that I typed uh, is Fred. And for me, when I uh, watch the character of Fred play out on screen, I see somebody who is deeply relational, so really thrives on that intimate um, uh, connection with other people. Um, is very much anchored, centered, uh, connected to his feelings. So I'm already like put him in that in that feelings triad space, uh, and then I he just strikes me as someone who's very energized by helping others. That he doesn't do it out of obligation. He doesn't do it because he thinks he has to. Uh, he does it because it really does bring him life. And so for me, when I put those characteristics together, I think type two. So I typed Fred as a two. I'm not sure how this is disputable, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he might be the most quintessential two. Me too. But I would say a very. Oh, go ahead. A nine? Yeah. We have we have um, votes for nine in the room. Two I thought or, through that. It's either two with a one wing or uh -huh. one with a two wing. I can get behind two because he's definitely a reformer and he definitely had very strong principles of right and what should be. I so agree. I was going to say that in my two-ness. So for me, there's no way he could be nine, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like two is Shut one down. in there. <laughs> but but I see what you're saying in the nine-ness. The nine and twos are similar in yeah. some stuff. I just there were other things that didn't fit for me. Um, oh, that's right. twos, twos, that's twos, <laughs> and ones. What yeah. do you, you think? Uh, anyway, I see yeah. Laura. You typed Mr. Rogers as two as well. I, I support that. So if you have other uh, votes out there, let us know. All right. Yeah, and that two-one mix is um, they call it the um, activist, which to me is Fred Rogers. So. Right on. Question number three. Did you see yourself? How, how did you see your story in this movie? I'll knock this one out really quick. All right. Here's how I saw myself in the story. In Lloyd. Okay, moving on. <laughs> That's it. That's, it was just Wait, so, so are you saying I'm right about I, the Enneagram no, type? No, I, I could now sort of go back. <laughs> right? I can go back and be like, oh, I guess that makes sense. 
Um, but here, <laughs> here's why I felt so uh, so seen and so read by mm. Lloyd was that Lloyd was just intensely and entirely detached from his feelings, and and you described the how that how that sort of tragically works for type threes to be completely driven by and, and experience the world through the feelings, but then to be simultaneously be uh, detached from them, unable to identify them, unable to name them, and then having to like process them. I mean, that's not even, not even close to that. When you can't identify your name, there's no way you can process. So for most of my life, I was uh, entirely unable to identify my feelings. Didn't, didn't know what they were, uh, so I couldn't name them. And then, you know, never was able to process them. So it wasn't even until, I don't know, five years ago through therapy that I started to develop language and tools and awareness around what my feelings were. Because I think for the most part, and you can uh, uh, graciously affirm this, I think for the most part in my adult life, I just thought I didn't have a lot of feelings. Or I just or maybe felt I wasn't a very emotional person, that they, but really it's just that they were suppressed and or repressed and or just uh, foreign to me. So L Lloyd has this whole journey in the movie of coming to uh, this, this reckoning with his feelings and emotions uh, because he had the Jedi master of emotions, Fred Rogers, uh, working with him uh, and helping him to see those and name those and, and love that part of him. So I very much connected to the Lloyd character uh, as someone who has a long history, ongoing struggle to access and name and deal with my yeah. emotions. And sorry that I'm the biggest Enneagram geek ever, but those moments, they happen a few times in the movie, those moments when um, Lloyd names out loud, I'm fine, while everyone around him sees that he's clearly <laughs> not, is a very classic three. It's, Never happens. <laughs> like, you're crazy is the I'm fine, Mike. Why, mm. why would you think there's something wrong with me? Meanwhile, it's so obvious that there's something wrong. So that feels very, very true. Okay, what about Are you? On? Oh. Yeah, how did you see like, yourself and um, our story? Well, I feel like a broken record. I realized as I was <laughs> processing this movie that this is the third movie in a row mm. that we have done with. It is, isn't dealt it? with and centered around a dead parent. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing? Wow. So sorry. Speaking of self-care. Yeah. True. Um, anyway, so that, um, yeah, I, it was a very difficult movie for me to watch. Yeah. Um, and I watched it three times <laughs> accidentally. I didn't mean to watch it three times. Um, is this where I wanted to share? No, I'll share that later. Okay. So I'll just say, yeah, that story, watching that story play out. Oh, I know what I wanted to share about this. So I used to refer to this as my glasses of death. And Lloyd has this. When you watch, like the physical experience of watching someone die at a young age, it leaves this imprint on you. And especially when that person is the person who physically gave birth to you, um, there is a very, I keep saying the word physical over and over again, but there's a physical thing that happens um, and you carry it around with you in a very bodily way. And I could just see it in Lloyd's body in everything that he experienced. And people tend to, in our world, label that as pessimism um, mm. or being against or um, being combative or negative. But I saw it in Lloyd as a glasses of death thing. He, he's not seeing everything in a negative light. He's seeing everything as dying. 
and that can, in transformation and growth, which we'll get to, become a gift. And it, I think it does for Lloyd. And I also think that he lives out the curse and gift, the both andness of that in different times. It's a beautiful way to see the world, but you can see it physically sitting on him. I don't know if that made sense. Anyway, that's what I related to resonated with. That's beautiful. Yeah, that it's a little bit ironic that we've done now three weeks where the a lot of the plot hinges on yeah. um, it's funny. So thanks for sharing your experience with us three weeks in a row. <laughs> okay, question. Don't be sorry. Question four. Here we go. What truths about transformation did you notice in this movie? How did this movie speak to transformation and growth to you, Pastor Kate? Yeah, one of the things that I noted was what you shared about, I think it was in the Jesus question, about the, if he's a saint, then it's not attainable. Um, and I, I wrote word for word what you already shared, so I won't repeat that part of my transformation and growth. But going back to that, just that we tend to do this thing where there's some people who are saintly and we can't attain that. Um, and especially, I see that as being such an unhealthy thing in spirituality, in spiritual um, um, communities. This just come together to worship this one guy who did it or this one way who did it or this one person who did it instead of we could all do this together mm. practice this um, that stood out to me but the bigger thing I wanted to share about um, transformation and growth in this movie I'm kind of going a different way with it in my experience of watching the film um, but it's also in the film this doesn't make sense. I'm blabbing. I'm just going to tell the story. So when I first uh, saw this film, I saw it in the theater. Uh, my sister-in-law was here visiting from Oregon, and it was her birthday trip, and it was to celebrate her and to give her a good time. So I thought one thing we could do is go to a movie without kids. We both have little ones. So I took her to a movie, and this is what was playing. Um, so we took her to see um, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Had no idea what this film was about at all. And certainly didn't know about these themes. Um, that go a little deeper into Lloyd's life, like losing his mom at a very young age. And so we're sitting there just being surprised over and over again by the content of the film, had no clue. We get to the scene where Lloyd is flashing back to his mother's um, sickness. She's in like this hospital bed thing that's kind of a dream sequence. So um, it's, it's very creatively done and I loved how it was done and obviously very triggering for me, right? And so, I start to get that bodily experience that we all get when we're being triggered. You know, your maybe your heart races, maybe your stomach starts to feel a little sick, maybe you feel shaky and clammy. I start to do that, like, I uh, need to run away from this feeling. And my sister-in-law, without, like, looking over at me and obviously not knowing inside what's happening for me, well, but kind of, um, she just sees what's happening on the screen and she just swoops over to me, grabs my whole body, holds me, starts rocking me, and whispers in my ear, we can leave, let's go, do you wanna go? And it wasn't like, let's get out of here, let's avoid this pain together, it was like, I'm here, what do you need? And I said, it's okay, let's stay, and she just held me through the whole thing. And so what I wanna say about transformation and growth that I saw in this film was that exact thing, is that we grow and transform when 
we can sit through our triggers with a person who's compassionate enough to know our triggers without us saying anything, to know our story enough to know what triggers us, and then to be willing to either sit in it and rock you or leave either one. I'm good. Let's go. What do you need through this trigger? Let's do what you need. That relational part of transformation and growth I think is key and it actually plays out in the film too in the opposite way where I see that lacking for Lloyd um, which I will speak to more with one of the other questions but so it's not really about the movie but it's kind of about me viewing the movie and that's what I see it as transformation and growth how about you thanks for sharing uh yeah so good so uh, I mean this movie just to me, for me, deals with all sorts of aspects of growth and transformation. And uh, so two things that came up for me, one is the, the idea of forgiveness. Uh, early on in the film, Mr. Rogers says about forgiveness, he says, forgiveness is a decision that we make to release another person from the feelings of anger that we have toward them. And I think that's a really good description of forgiveness. And I, I was rem reminded as well of another teaching where um, it's important that we remember that forgiveness is a process, it's not an event. So this practice, you might say this practice of forgiveness to release another person from the feelings of anger that we have toward them, um, for me, like that is just an, a, a massively important part of the, of the work of transformation in our lives, is the work of, of figuring out and practicing and learning to forgive others, to release them of the feelings of anger that we have. But to go back to that scene with Lloyd and his mom in the hospital bed, one of the things his mom said to them was, I, I, she said, I know you're holding on to this anger. Because Lloyd had all this anger about the way that how his mom died and how his dad left in the midst of all that and all this anger. And his mom said, I know you're holding on to this anger, but I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need you to be angry about this anymore. That... So all these uh, uh, moments for Lloyd to be able to access this deep, um, the deep power of forgiveness, that was super impactful for me. And then the other one was the theme of acceptance. Uh, Mr. Rogers at one point says, I don't think anyone can grow unless they're accepted just as they are. Preach. I don't think anyone can grow unless they're accepted just as they are. And this is really, I would say, not how most of us or not how society functions. We kind of function as the way to get people to change and to grow is through force or shame or fear. We just try to make them change and make them be someone different. But this is not the path for growth. I mean, if you could, if you could look back on your own life, I know I can do this for myself. If I can look back on my own life and, and sort of isolate or identify the times when I have experienced the most personal transformation and growth, I can reverse engineer that and be like, oh, that's because in that context, there was complete love and acceptance just for who I was in that moment. Not this sort of, you will find wellness and acceptance once you change. It was no, just as you are. And I love how, if you've been around Sojourn um, for any length of time, this is mostly back when we met, you know, in real IRL, uh, Kate would talk about often how one of our main values at Sojourn as it relates to our kids is that kids are human just as they are. Like they, they get to be a full human just at the size of, that they are, that we don't wait to treat them as humans until they become later. We, we give them full acceptance and, and love just as they are. And I think how might that change the world if we did that same sort of posture toward one another? Full acceptance just as you are, not expecting you to be someone entirely different. Which I grew up on Mr. Rogers, so 
Yeah. I, okay. We didn't talk about that. Did you grow up watching Mr. Rogers? Yeah. That's cool. Yes. He is my, my Yoda. I, I couldn't, I have a hard time remembering that period of my life in general. So the thing that was coming up for me when we were watching it the second time was, I think I remembered, and I could just be creating this story because it feels good, but I think I remember liking Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the show, but feeling silly watching it. And so I, I think if I remember correctly, I often wouldn't watch it probably as much as I would have liked to because I think I was living into some sort of societal narrative where that show wasn't cool. <laughs> and most of my life has been about trying to be what is cool. Uh, so I, I have this sort of deep love and affection for the show, and yet I don't remember watching it all that much. So that's interesting to me. Okay. Whew. Question number five. Unhealthy narratives were exposed or perpetuated in this film. You want to go first? No, I think you should because oh, I yeah, actually yeah. know your answer to this. Yeah. And we realize that our answers to this question are very yin-yang. So they're going to seem like a complete contradiction of one another. And I don't think they are. And I think that's the coolest because I love paradox so much. Yes. This is like dual permission for whatever path you might take is... Co-pastor approved. Okay. Uh, so, here, was that weird? Yes. You made it weird. Um, okay. Here's what came up for me in terms of unhealthy narrative. So, if you've seen the movie or if you uh, have heard enough about it, you have the character Lloyd who has this, this deep relational separation from his father. And it goes back to all these events that happened when they were... Uh, when they were younger with his mom dying and, and dad um, just leaving and all that. So year, most of Lloyd's life, there was this, this, uh, this huge chasm between the two of them. And then at the beginning of the film, Lloyd's dad kind of comes back into the picture through a wedding and they end up getting into a fight and there's punches thrown. Uh, it's like, so, so here's what came up for me. That one, of the un, one of the narratives that I think we live into or that I think are given to us is that some relationships that are broken will just always be broken. It's just that they are damaged, too much pain has been caused, uh, and they will always be that way. And that this is the narrative that is given to us, that, that this dynamic that you have with that person will always result or will always end up in fistfights if you go to the same wedding together. Like that is just, that is now your lot in life for that relationship with that person. And I, and I, and, and so part of what I loved in this movie is that as you watch the story uh, envelop and as, uh, as Lloyd gets more in touch with his emotional sense and as his father has, has grown into this later place, stage in life where he's ready to try to make amends for some of that and, sh and, and show up, then you have at the end of the film, spoiler alert, you have this beautiful reconciliation where there does seem to be some real forgiveness, which Fred Rogers said, with family is often the hardest. With the people that we love, are oftentimes the hardest ones to forgive. And so for me, it was this taking this, this narrative of 
Nope. Sometimes relationships are so broken, like that's it. You're, you'll never find repair with that. You'll never find reconciliation. And it showed how even amidst these two characters that you would think really would never find repair uh, and, and forgiveness, they found it at the end of the film. And I thought that was really beautiful. So that was that was what came up for me. And then you go. And <laughs> I felt that it was extremely unhealthy and perpetuating an unhealthy narrative to expect Lloyd to have duty to be a polite, good, show-up-for-family human with absolute disregard to his extreme trauma and the harm done to him by his father. Um, all the way to, to being where the character of Andrea, who's Lloyd's wife, was extremely problematic for me. I couldn't stand the way that character was written because she just constantly expected him to dutifully show up. She even surprise attacks him with the father figure in their home without him knowing. He walks in. This character who's been nothing but harmful to him hasn't done anything to make amends, isn't even showing up with a posture of trying to make amends, really, still just being antagonistic and harmful and triggering of trauma. And there's no honoring of his trauma. There's no creating space for, of course, this person in your life is not someone that you can just show up um, to and and just relax around and um, be in relationship with. And that for me is such an unhealthy narrative that we have in our culture of you just, you show up with this duty to family no matter what, and Mm. you show up and you be polite and you be hospitable no matter the harm that's been done to you. And for me, I'm like, no, you you are not only allowed to, you are invited to draw boundaries, to honor your trauma, to distance yourself. My favorite definition of forgiveness is aphemi, which is the Greek definition, which is, simply means to separate from. So I practice forgiveness in my life by separating my identity from the harm that's been done to me. Um, so if someone has caused me great harm, I forgive them by not identifying with that harm. That is not who I am. It's not my story, and I refuse to walk in it. Now, sometimes that can look like reconciliation, but they are not synonymous. Um, you do not have to reconcile with those who have caused you harm. And it's beautiful. Like Culp spoke to you. This is why it's paradoxical, because I still agree with everything that you said. And um, it's beautiful that they found reconciliation in the end. But I hated some of the story that led to it. Um, I wish that Lloyd's trauma had been honored and his boundaries would have been honored. Yeah. Instead, he was asked to um, repent of and that, that scene where the, he's at the hospital, his dad and he needs to get out of there. I wanted him, oh, this is what I was going to say about my story of my sister-in-law. In the film, it doesn't play out that way. He doesn't get a my sister-in-law character. Yeah. Andrea says to him, you need to show up. This is where you should be right now. You should be facing this in the hospital. And he's going, I hate hospitals. I hate hospitals. And anybody who understands trauma, even a tiny bit, knows that he was having a major trauma response. And he needed out of there. And he didn't have my sister-in-law to go, do you need to leave? Do you want to go? We can go. And he needed that. And it pissed me off that he didn't get it. <laughs> so, anyway. Both hand. I think that's cool, <laughs> by the way. That, uh, why do I think that's cool? I think it's cool because if you're watching this right now or if you're listening back to the podcast or watching the stream later and you've seen this movie or you've just heard us talk about this theme right here um, or if you're just a human because this is a pretty common experience you might have a person that comes to mind and, and even maybe a family member or a close friend or somebody for whom there has been a fracture in the relationship. And 
I think if you're anything like me, you can oftentimes get lost in this place of how do I handle that? What, what is the best or the right response? Do I try and seek reconciliation? Do I try and f- find repair? Or do I create some healthy uh, boundaries and understand that that person is no longer in my life or that season is no longer part of Like, which one is it? And I think what we're saying is yes. Um, only you can know that. Only, yeah, only. And, and I can imagine that we move through these, these different uh, 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 routes or paths in different stages of our life. You, you, might spend, you might spend a decade of your life f- firmly at peace in the place of, nope, the, 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 the best move for me right now is to have this full separation, this full um, boundary set where that person just isn't in my life anymore. And that is the... That is a good move for you for 10 years. And then maybe one day you wake up at a, a year 11 and you're like, now maybe I might want to try this other path. You see what I'm saying? How like you might just have full seasons of your life where you're in. And, and I, I think our hope is that no matter which path you take, if you are finding, maybe I'll say this, if you're finding peace and wholeness within that path, then reject any of the voices that might try to creep in and be like, but you should be, <laughs> you should be trying to repair. You should be trying to find reconciliation. You should be. That's what, that's what good Christians do, or that's what the, the, the right path is. Like you can just reject those sort of shoulds. Um, because I, I think at least as far as we are saying today, both of those are beautiful, wonderful, appropriate, good paths to take, even if at times they feel at odds. Last, last, right? Last yes, question. this is the uh, final question. Got to find the button. Question six. How did this movie illuminate the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? And how did The Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood illuminate it? Mm-hmm. You want me to go? Sure. Okay. Uh, for me, what I what I took away from this movie is that life is to be savored. Life is to be savored, and I think that uh, that Fred Rogers is somebody who found this truth about life. That life is to be enjoyed and savored specifically in the present moment. I remember when the movie first came out. I was reading an interview with uh, Tom Hanks, who plays Fred. And one of the things Tom said that made it so difficult to play this role was how slow Tom had to be with all of his lines, with all of his mannerisms. Mm-hmm, I'm dying with you doing that right he now. He had to slow <laughs> everything down to match the normal pace or Fred Rogers. All right, I'll pick it back up into Colby Pace. But uh, but but I just found that so fascinating that in order to, that for Fred and this goes back to if you see him as a saint, then it's unattainable. Maybe Fred was just naturally sort of slow in nature, or maybe that was the the result of his years of practicing this mindfulness, this present attention to uh, to the moment. This this uh, there was a moment where he was first talking on the phone to Lloyd and Fred said, Do you want to know what the most important thing in the world to me is right now? And Lloyd said, What is it? And Fred said, talking to Mr. Lloyd on the phone. <laughs> like that that really was the the present moment was the most important moment to Fred. I love that scene when 
the at, they're filming Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and the whole crew is trying to get the episode started. And Fred's having this moment of interaction with this little boy who has this oxygen tube, and his and he's got this sword, and and everybody just has this intense posture of impatience with this kid who's holding up Mr. Rogers. And Fred's just the most important thing to him in that moment was this little boy, and his sword, and making sure that he's. So I, for me, this is like, what is the meaning of life? Well, maybe it's just to be in the moment, not anxious about the future, not full of regret about the past, but just present in the moment, savoring the gift of each moment. I love it. What about you? For me, uh, at the very end of the movie, Mr. Rogers is speaking to Lloyd's family while Lloyd's dad is on his deathbed, so to speak. And he says, to die is to be human, and anything human is mentionable, and anything mentionable is manageable. He says it way slower than that, (laughs) and then he repeats himself, anything human is mentionable, and anything mentionable is manageable. And for me, that just summed up life. It's to be human and to talk about it, (laughs) to be human and to be human together. Um, And it also speaks to... um, the journey of Lloyd that he was walking around uh, carrying the weight of death in a culture that's death avoidant. So no one wants to mention it. No one wants to talk about it. Um, and he needs to. And so Fred wraps that all up at the end. If it's human, let's talk about it. That's everything to me. It's human. Let's talk about it. What about you? What did you hear, see, feel as it relates to the meaning of life? in watching A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And if you haven't seen the movie, then maybe maybe today's uh, time together inspired you to maybe you want to check it out. I, I do think it is a great movie and that you would enjoy it. Let's serve communion. Let's So if you need a transition. second to grab the elements, we have um, half of an everything bagel thin. So that's a something bagel. And... Uh... <laughs> 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 You're gonna be okay. It's almost done. <laughs> and a strawberry mango sparkling water. It's great. It's great. It's great. Hey, these are your reminder that you are accepted exactly as you are in this moment. Just every little tiny piece of you and who you are. Your story past, your history, everything that's happened to you, every bit of harm that has been done to you, that is not who you are, and you are accepted exactly as you are in those wounded moments and in your moments of healing and everything in between, every bit of you and every bit of your story is loved and accepted and celebrated. I almost hate the word accepted because Mm. it's not just that we tolerate, we don't tolerate you, we celebrate you and your journey and every bit of what it means to be you. And so know that and take your bite of whatever you have and let that message, like, let this be a moment of embodiment, like embody that message. You are literally going to put this in your body and let it be the message. Just feel it in your bones that you are celebrated and whole and everything about you is loved. Thank you. Let's take together. Chewing in the microphone, I don't like that at all. Can you hear the poppy seeds? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, everybody who's like me and disgusted and enraged by the sound of chewing.
And now as we take the cup, whatever it is you have this morning to represent the cup, I'd actually like to read a short poem, which if you know me might be a little bit of a surprise that I chose a poem. I don't believe you anymore. Your, I don't like poetry. Uh, but I actually came across this this morning. Um, my friend uh, Rob Ryersey shared this on Facebook, so thanks, at Rob. Uh, and I thought this is not only a great poem to read in communion, like Kate said, to just remind us of the the sacredness of, of who you are, that, that just... Yeah, of who you are. But I think it also is this beautiful embodiment of the the patience and the presence uh, that Fred Rogers embodied. And I think that we can really learn from. So this is called The Patience of Ordinary Things by Pat Schneider. And it goes like this. It is a kind of love, is it not? How the cup holds the tea. How the chair stands sturdy and foursquare. How the floor receives the bottom of shoes or toes. How soles of feet know where they're supposed to be. I've been thinking about the patience of ordinary things. How clothes wait respectfully in closets. And soap dries quietly in the dish. And towels drink the wet from the skin of the back. And the lovely repetition of stairs. And what is more generous than a window? Take whatever you have as the cup this morning, and as you do, remember that you are not separate from the holy, from the beautiful, from the good. Music. Thanks for joining us this morning for our message on a beautiful day in the neighborhood. We'll be right back with our benediction after the band shares this next song with us. A large portion of Sojourn's financial support comes from listeners like you people who hear messages like this one and want to express their gratitude for our ministry, or who are simply thrilled to know that a church like Sojourn exists. Or maybe you can't attend services on Sunday mornings, yet you still consider Sojourn Grace Collective your spiritual community. If that's you, and you'd like to partner with us in this work, please visit sojourngrace.com slash partner, where you can make a one-time donation or sign up to be a monthly supporter. Also, don't forget that we stream our services live every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific on both our Facebook and YouTube pages. And if you missed it live, you can always re-watch the video playback later or subscribe to this or Sojourn podcast. It was an honor to have you with us today. As you go about your week, may you take with you the words we say at the end of all of our gatherings. Be brave because you're a child of God and be kind because so is everyone else.